0: Jesus used a turn of phrase. He used a term that Jews commonly use to refer to non-Jews. And in doing so, she was able to use it and demonstrate great faith greater than that of his own people. And because of her humility and faith in Jesus, he granted her request. Well, our story picks up right after that event. But this time, the emphasis is not on the faith of the individual but on the person of Jesus. So let's read our text together now. Mark 7, verse 31 through 37. And if you're new to the Bible, uh, there's large, bold numbers. Those are chapter numbers. And then you'll see small numbers inside the paragraphs. Those are verses. So when we say Mark 7, verse 31, it's the big seven and the little 31. Let's read now. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee. In the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is God's word. The main idea is found right there at the end in verse 37. In what the people are zealously proclaiming about Jesus after this miracle. And it's in their response to Jesus' miracle that we find a reason to trust Jesus. He has done all things well. Now, we haven't gotten to the end or the climax of Jesus' ministry and the story yet. We're only on chapter 7. But as Christians, we're born on this side of the cross. We have the rest of Scripture accessible to us. And so we know the primary reason Jesus came to earth was not just to heal people... Uh, but was to live a sinless life in obedience to God, the way no one has, the way none of us has, to go to the cross as a perfect sacrifice to pay the penalty that we deserved, to appease the wrath of God, and to act as a substitute for us. So that for everyone who turns from their sin and trusts in Christ, God would see us as justified, and He would look on us and instead of seeing our filthy rags, He would see the righteousness of Christ Jesus. That's the main reason Jesus came to the earth. But he did some other interesting things before that. And we can learn from those as well. We can trust in the atoning sacrifice and the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection to new life confidently. Because Jesus did not only that, but all things well. Now, uh, I'll be a little bit honest. When I first read this text, my initial thought was, all right, Another miracle. Here we go. There are many of them in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, And maybe that's how you feel about this too. However, Jesus does act a little differently than what we've seen him do thus far. And in any case, my prayer is that this passage would renew your confidence in Christ's lordship over your life. And that upon reflecting on the miracle Jesus worked in your own heart, you would respond like the crowd that witnessed the healing of this deaf man. First we see the condition of the man in verses 31 and 32. The condition of the man. Mark introduces a severe situation. And by the way, this is one of those stories that um, is confusing. And so I quickly turned to see if other gospel writers had also given an account to see if there were other details I could pick up on. That happens sometimes. And this just happens to be one of those stories that only Mark includes in his gospel which means what you see is what we have. But Matthew does offer a summary paragraph about Jesus' travel and ministry during this time in Gentile regions. So we get an idea of what Jesus is doing, and it appears that he is healing many people as he's traveling around. But Mark decides to record just this one and the one that we learned about last week. Verse 31 says, Jesus and company returned from Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, And uh, this is a strange way to describe his journey. If you're following his instructions, it would be like saying uh, someone returned from Los Angeles uh, to San Diego by way of Fresno. It it doesn't exactly make sense. But what Mark is trying to illustrate is the general regions that Jesus has traveled. By the way, the distances are completely out of proportion. So just ignore that for the time being. I just picked well-known cities. Uh, You see the Sea of Galilee... Uh, And then just northwest of that is Tyre, where Jesus was. Sidon is 20 miles north. And so he travels in kind of an upside-down horseshoe to land in the Decapolis, where they are now, on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And if you remember, uh, Decapolis Deca just means ten. Polis means city. So this is just the region of ten cities. And this is actually the second time that Jesus has appeared in this location. You might remember me mentioning it because back in chapter 5, Jesus cast out legion from the man who was possessed by demons. He restored him. And uh, when he did, the man begged Jesus to go with him. The countrymen who witnessed it were so afraid that they begged Jesus to leave. And Jesus instructs the man who wants to go with him not to come with him. Jesus instead tells him to go home and tell his friends how much the Lord had done for him. And so Mark 5.20 Says and he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marvelled. So this is the place Jesus sent. You can you can think about it this way: the first Gentile missionary. And it appears that either from that witness or just the general reputation about Jesus' ministry, uh, is he is now famous in the area. And instead of begging him to leave. Like In chapter 5, out of fear, this time people are bringing him uh, their sick friends, paralyzed to heal. Mark tells us just about this one. They bring to Jesus a man who is deaf. And he's actually both deaf and mute. Both of those conditions are communicated with just a single word that Mark says, deaf. But he also adds another word to describe a speech impediment. And... Uh, this doesn't mean that he had like some kind of lisp or stammer or anything like that. This would have been a significant handicap. He would not be able to speak normally. He would have been able to just make noise but not actually enunciate or talk in sentences. Uh, it was like his, ch- his tongue was chained down to his mouth. Uh, about six years ago, I lived in Washington, D.C., and there was a great food market that I would go to frequently because they had great food and because of my favorite coffee shop was there. And uh, the first time I went there, I had some trouble ordering my coffee from the person at the register. Uh, she asked multiple questions. I had to restate it a couple times. She said something to me, and I didn't quite understand her, so we had a little bit of, of a hard time. I just assumed I can easily default into mumbling And uh, speaking quiet and it's noisy, so I just assumed that was my fault. I needed to talk louder. But I realized when I was waiting for my coffee the reason that uh, our communication was stifled. Her, Her diction was a little weak, and her consonants were not very firm. And I realized that the reason was because she was deaf. Uh, and as it turns out, the largest population of deaf in the United States is actually in Washington, D.C. And right next to that food market, there is a deaf university. And so this food market would employ a lot of uh, deaf individuals. And they, they had enough training to be able to communicate with people, not just with American Sign Language, but uh, they would, with much training, be able to read lips, for example, and with much coaching, be able to replicate the Shapes of your mouth and you would have to memorize the way that it feels as they make sounds and they're, you know, a coach would approve, yes, that's how you say it. Um, it takes a lot of training. That, that type of training and private attention was just not possible during the time of Jesus. Okay. So uh, this man would have had no real way of communicating. This would have been a, a very significant barrier between him and other people. It's not clear if this man was born deaf or if his deafness was a result of some kind of accident or illness later on, but whatever the case, just think for a moment about how difficult this man's life must have been. He likely would have spent all of his time at the marketplace begging because he would have no skills for work, no education, He couldn't communicate with others. He'd be a liability, frankly, uh, as an employee. And despite the busyness of the marketplaces, the great crowds of people, to him, sitting in the middle of it, it would be completely silent. No sound at all. Think about going through a single day of your life without hearing a single sound. No alarm clock in the morning. Some of you like that idea. But imagine never hearing beautiful music or imagine never hearing the wind in the trees or the sound of running water, the sound of fire crackling, the voices of loved ones. Think about how strange it would be to watch people interact and see them laughing and not know what laughter sounded like, relying at other, on others at all times for basic communication living day after day in silence. And just think about it, the way that others would treat him. Probably not much different than a pet. Not being able to communicate or respond. Helen Keller, who famously was both deaf and blind, said that between the two, between deafness and blindness, deafness was far worse of an affliction. She said that blindness removed you from objects, But deafness removed you from people and from language that stirs up your thoughts. How strange it must have been for this deaf man who would not have any idea about who Jesus was, would not have been able to hear the stories. I highly doubt he would have been able to even communicate in basic ways. But he must have been led or ushered to Jesus without any any idea why suddenly being face-to-face with a stranger, a Jewish man in the middle of a crowd, everybody watching around him, seeing other people beg Jesus, whose attention would then turn from their begging to the man. Based on Jesus' ministry so far, uh, this isn't all that surprising. Whenever Jesus walked into big towns, people were bringing all kinds of people to him, even the sick on their beds imploring him through the marketplaces just to touch his garment for healing. So it's not unusual that a large crowd would be surrounded around Jesus. But there are just a few quick things that I think we can learn just from these short details. First, there's no way this man would have found Jesus on his own. He probably had no idea who he was. uh, And even if he saw a crowd gathering around a person... He may not even feel compelled to follow or would not even know why there was a crowd around him. He would not have been saved if others had not brought him to Jesus. There are men and women in the world that are the same, who will not find Jesus on their own. They may not have heard of Jesus or known the message of forgiveness that he preached, unless they have shown the way Pray and think about ways that the Lord might use you in someone else's life. Use the people who brought this deaf man to Jesus. And bringing the deaf man to Jesus is only half of what they do. And notice they don't just shove him in front of Jesus and watch and see what happens. They begin begging Jesus to heal the man. They emphatically implored him continuously until he did. Now obviously we want to be a people who share the message of Christ to others and invite them to church. But don't stop there. Don't let that be your only effort. That's only half of our duty. We should also labor diligently in prayer, begging Jesus to save those who don't know him yet. That's the condition of this man. In verses 33 through 35, we see the compassion of Jesus. The compassion of Jesus. There's a lot that happens very quickly. In these three verses, so let me just take one thing at a time. First, Jesus takes the man aside from the crowd privately. Why would he do that? Why not just make a spectacle out of healing the man? Have you ever thought of that? Uh, We know that he's healing people left and right as he's going through these marketplaces. So why is this instant any different? I didn't address this question last week. Uh, but we, see, we saw something similar with the Syrophoenician woman, right? When she came in and begged Jesus, he could have just granted her request instantaneously. She would have probably left happy. Uh, who knows if it would have been recorded in Scripture, though. But because he prompted her, we learned a great lesson about her faith and humility. So what is it about Jesus taking this man aside and Mark recording it into Scripture that we can learn from? In a way that's unique from Jesus's other healings, and we already know that Jesus is his. He was not trying to make the biggest splash everywhere he went. In fact, often he's trying to escape crowds, right? So his major goal was not necessarily to uh, to create the biggest miracle on display to amaze as many people as possible. In fact, it seems like he's intentionally not trying to draw attention because of what scholars have called the messianic secret. He wants to control his reputation because people would have likely wanted him to lead and conquer the Romans in a military fashion. And that wasn't Jesus' goal at all. He had an agenda and a ministry of his own that he needed to stick to. That's why he exhorts them not to tell anyone after he heals the man. But even more than that is the way that Jesus heals this man. It's a little weird. He sticks his fingers into his ears... He spits, he touches his tongue, looks up to heaven, sighs, and then says a strange word that Mark says means be open. There's six steps in Jesus healing this person. It's by far the strangest thing that Jesus has done in the gospel, I think. And some have taken these details to say that Jesus was just replicating modern day, at least during Jesus' time, modern day healers, That he was nothing more than just a magician uh, of the time. There were varying beliefs about, uh, about saliva. But one of the primary ones was that because water, we know this, we just got water, right? Comes down and brings forth life from the ground. And humans need water to live. And so water was seen as this kind of substance of life. And so the water generated by a living person was seen to have some kind of Unique. It was a unique ingredient, you could say, for the healers of the day. So healers would incorporate saliva and words of incantation into their rituals. But there is a difference between what Jesus does here and what they were doing. Jesus' word that he speaks, ephatha. Uh, is not really a strange word. It's just strange to us because we didn't speak his language. But Jesus spoke Aramaic, which is what the word is. And so to them, it's his language and all the disciples' language. To them, it would have just sounded like, be opened. It wasn't a word like abracadabra. It wasn't any kind of voodoo. It just was a simple statement, be opened. Now, the spitting is probably the strangest thing. And... I bet I know what you're thinking already. Where did Jesus spit exactly? Did he spit on the ground? Did he spit on his hand? Did he spit directly on the tongue? That would be gross. Uh, well, really, Mark doesn't tell us. So, I will do like Mark and leave it to your imagination. Uh, this is the first time, by the way, that Jesus spits as part of healing someone, but it's not the only time he does. There are two other times in the Bible. In the very next chapter, Jesus is going to spit directly on a blind man's eyes to heal him. And then in John 9, he spits in the dirt to make mud that he then rubs on a blind man's eyes to heal him. Well, who knows? The deaf man may have seen many healers already in an attempt to be healed of his affliction. So I think at the very least, Jesus is signaling by his spitting that he has the intent to heal this man. There's nothing special about Jesus' saliva. Um, there's nothing special about Jesus' garment when, he, when people are healed by touching his garment. It's Jesus' power that heals people, so don't be confused by that. But we already know how easy it is for Jesus to heal people, don't we? He's done so in a myriad of different ways. He has... Uh, touched a leper to cleanse him. He's raised up Jairus' daughter just by taking her hand. He simply told the Syrophoenician woman that her daughter was healed. The bleeding woman touched Jesus' garment and he felt the power go out of him. So if Jesus has the power to heal so effortlessly and in so many different ways, why does he do it this way for this man? Well, think about how this man must have been afraid in that moment being ushered to a man he doesn't recognize, surrounded by a crowd, then being taken by this unknown person to a private place, all the while unable to hear or communicate or protest of what was going on. This poor man who can't communicate, Jesus takes him aside and communicates with him. Jesus is using sign language to comfort the man and to tell him what he's going to do. He takes him aside privately to show care for the man. He's more than a party trick. He is made in the image of God. And Jesus sees past his handicap. He puts his fingers in his ears as if to say, these aren't working properly. I'm going to unplug them. He spits and touches his tongue as if to say, I'm going to fix this as well. Your tongue will no longer be broken. And he looks up to heaven The same way he did just before saying a blessing and feeding the 5,000. As if to say, this is the power of God who will do this for you. And then he lets out a deep sigh. Which is really more a groan of empathy. Showing compassion to the man and grieving his poor state. As if to say, these things that happen to you are not as they should be. And then he spoke. He simply said, be opened. And his body, the body of the death man, obeyed Jesus. His ears were opened. His tongue was released. Literally, it says his tongue was unchained. And the man spoke plainly. How strange would it have been to hear noise coming from him and then suddenly for him to articulate thoughts and to use language. This would be like a a baby coming out of the womb. And then when the mother brings it close and says, they're there, the baby are saying, hello mother, how are you? I'm cold, hold me closely. The man who couldn't speak, couldn't hear, suddenly, intelligibly, interacting with people, talking plainly, just like the demoniac sitting next to Jesus in plain clothes. His ears began working, responding to others. Just think about the emotion that would have happened in that moment. Suddenly being able to match voices with sounds, suddenly being able to hear your own voice and hear what it sounds like. I imagine, this is just my own speculation, but I imagine there may have been some kind of physical uh, relief as well. You know, when your ears get really plugged up and then they finally pop and then it feels like a breath of fresh air as air kind of flows through your ear canals. Raw sound flowing through this man's eardrum for the first time would have felt like waking up from a dream to reality. And the responses of the people would have just been that of overwhelming emotion. Laughter, astonishment, joyful hugging, and tears flowing most likely. Uh, We we have some way of experiencing this. Uh, If you've seen these videos of what are called cochlear implants. Uh, They're basically uh, a device that needs to be surgically uh, placed on the bone of the skull with a chip that bypasses the eardrum to stimulate uh, the sensation of hearing. And so you see these videos floating around on the news or social media about the person who, who suddenly experiences sound for the first time and they're just immediately broken and weeping. And if you're like me, you have a hard time not weeping alongside as you're watching it. Pure joy and amazement. It's no wonder they were zealously proclaiming this miracle. It'd be impossible not to. And the people recognized the deaf and dumb man, fully operational, would have sent shockwaves to everyone around. Now, the way that Jesus heals this man is not the point of the story, but... Seeing yet another way that Jesus brings healing reminds us that not everyone is saved or comes to Jesus in the same way. Each person in this room even has a unique testimony about how they came to know Jesus and came to trust Him for the forgiveness of their sins. One of the greatest privileges of mine is hearing these testimonies through membership interviews or baptism testimonies uh, and the like. But God moves in mysterious ways. He may not move in the lives of friends and family members in the same way that He did for us. Parents, we we pray regularly for your kids, right? That they would be saved or that they would never know a time in their life that they didn't know Jesus and didn't trust Jesus. But that may not be the case. They may rebel and run away from the Lord for 30 or 40 years of their life before they decide to bend their knee to Him but it doesn't make your efforts any less crucial or valuable now, right? We must sow and water and trust God to give the growth. All this leads to the last two verses. Verses 36 and 37, which we can title the Confession of the People. Confession of the People. Jesus charges them not to tell anyone, which is always strange whenever he does that. But the more he does, the more they tell people. I think that Jesus knew that that would happen. I think he instructed them anyway, but he knew that they would joyfully praise him and go singing and dancing. And I think it shows us that Jesus cared more about the individual than his reputation at that moment. He was on a mission and he was in control of it. If he wasn't in control of it, then he wouldn't have risked being outed by healing this man. He would have just passed by him. The man would have spent the rest of his life deaf and dumb, and we probably wouldn't have that recorded in Scripture. But instead, we see Jesus show great compassion for those in need, and especially in this man's case, one at the very bottom of society. Men and women who have these kinds of defects were pretty much destined to live on the streets which means this man likely would have had the same kind of presence that uh, in our day a modern a modern day homeless man or homeless woman would have but this is the very person that Jesus shows such kindness to brothers and sisters Jesus is not a god that is far off or impersonal he cares for each individual member of his flock he is like the shepherd that leaves in the 91 the 99 to go after the one that has strayed away. In our passage this morning, he's the man who cares for the hopeless in a very kind and personal way. He cares for us individually too. He took this man aside privately to communicate with him. And for us today, those who put their faith in Jesus, he promises to fill our hearts with his Holy Spirit, giving us the mind of Christ. Christianity is not just a uh, religion with a set of morals. It's not just a uh, religion about a book. Jesus is a person that we can have a personal relationship with. And if you're not uh, a believer in this room, then I would encourage you to talk to someone who does claim to be a Christian and ask them what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus and ask them what it was like to trust in Jesus in the way they have Verse 37 is the climax of the story. And it's the primary lesson to be learned from this healing. The people are so astonished that they can't help but sing praises to God. And what are the things that they're saying about Jesus? He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. He has done all things well. There is not a single thing that Jesus has ever done that was not Good. It's the same word actually for good. And so that language, many have said in reading this text, recalls the very first chapter in the Bible, Genesis one, verse thirty-one. When after God created the earth and filled it with all the creatures, it says He saw everything he made, and behold, it was very good. Jesus is the one by whom all things were created in heaven and on earth, as Colossians one sixteen says. He laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of his hands, as Hebrews 1 verse 10 says. This confession that Jesus does all things well reminds us that he is the creator God in the flesh. The very author of creation who designed this man's eardrum has redeemed his ability to hear and to speak. And this is just one small example of Jesus' power to reverse the effects of the fall. Brothers and sisters, this miracle by itself is enough for us to praise God for the rest of our lives. But at this point in this story, we have to remind ourselves that as amazing as this miracle is, it wasn't the greatest miracle that Jesus performed. Jesus didn't come to earth just to help people with physical disabilities. He came to earth to accomplish something much more glorious He came to earth to save sinners from their sin. Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Sin which plagues all of humanity. And is the primary cause for this man's deafness. Sin separates us from God. It fractures God's good creation. But Jesus came to serve others and to save others task which he accomplishes on, the, on his death on the cross and his resurrection three days later, Jesus did not do all things well except for the primary thing that he came to do. When he said it is finished on the cross, he left nothing unfinished. This miracle of healing the deaf man is just one small example of the way Christ perfectly accomplishes all he set out to do. And the most important thing he did was go to the cross where he purchased our redemption. And so we can have confidence in our salvation because Jesus Christ does all things well in creation, here in his ministry, and even in his death. He adopted us in love. Dear friend, if you are here and you have never experienced this love, if you have never put your faith and trust in Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, you can do that today. You can turn from your sins and trust in Him. And He promises to make you a new creation. Many people want to better themselves before they come to God feeling like God won't want them. But Scripture is clear over and over again that it was while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He knows our sin and our weaknesses, and yet He still went to the cross for us. There is nothing greater to put your faith in than Jesus. Everything else in the world will promise things that it cannot deliver, but Jesus can. Jesus never failed. I've mentioned before in some of Jesus' other miracles that physical healings often act as parables or illustrations for the spiritual work that Christ does within us, this miracle is no different. In fact, in the very next chapter, Mark 8, Jesus is going to rebuke his disciples yet again for their spiritual deafness and blindness. He even says to them, Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? Which means that all people, if they don't understand rightly who Jesus is, are spiritually blind and spiritually deaf. And they need their ears opened to hear the truth. Just as much, if not more, than this deaf man in our passage. If you're a Christian, I hope that your heart is stirred in thinking about this deaf man because the reality is that we are not much different from him apart from Christ. Like the disciples, our hearts were hardened against God until he opened our ears to hear the message of salvation. He opened our eyes to see the truthfulness of Jesus. And it was only by his creative power that we are able to hear him speaking and by grace through Christ to speak back to him. To make the deaf hear and the mute speak is another way of saying that Jesus can do what only God can do. Our faith wavers... Our confidence weakens because we ourselves are weak, but we ourselves are fallen. But praise be to God, our faith is in the man who does all things well in life and even in death. There's one more thing that I want to show you in this passage, and that is Mark's careful wording in this passage. I mentioned already that in verse 32, uh, when Mark says that the man was deaf, it's already implied that... He is mute as well. He uses the word kophos, which is is just a very common word. But then he adds the bit about the speech impediment. And the word that he uses there is actually a very rare Greek word. In fact, it's not anywhere else in the entire New Testament. It's only in one other place in the entire Bible. It appears... in the the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is what Mark would have had for his scriptures, in Isaiah 35, verse 6, which we read earlier in this passage. It appears in Isaiah's prophecy about the everlasting joy that God will bring. And it speaks about the glory of God being seen. And I think Mark must have had verses 5 and 6 from Isaiah 35 on his mind when he recorded this miracle that Jesus performed, seeing the very fulfillment of the prophecy in the ministry of Jesus. I'll read those verses again. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The very coming of Jesus ushers in a new age for God's people. Everything he did pointed to the fact that he is God's plan for redemption. So we can have confidence in our salvation because Jesus has done all things well.